2024 is the year of podcasts, and we want to let you know about a brand new show that is live right now. Join with me to share the good news about the Worthy of Everything podcast. It's just one of the two hosts, Jaja Lasso. Jaja, you've been working on this podcast in the background. Our team has been very excited as we've been preparing for its launch. How does it feel to know that the episodes finally are out there and we're moving forward every single week? It is so exciting and I am just excited to see where God takes it and I have so much hope that it is going to be an incredible blessing to the listeners. Amen, amen. But as I understand it, this is a show tackling the issues of mental health through the lens of the gospel. Can you share just a little bit more about the heart and the intent and who you're really trying to serve through the Worthy of Everything podcast? So I personally was freed from depression and as I've come to understand my freedom from sin and identity in Christ, I start to recognize all these amazing gifts that God has given us. So yeah, just exploring and hearing awesome testimonies about how to walk out true intimacy with a loving father who pursues his kids. Oh man, sounds like a good time. If you want to check out the show, lovereality.org slash podcasts and look for the Worthy of Everything show. Are we starting the podcast now? Or? Oh, we've been on the podcast, my brother. <laughs> Yo, welcome to the Death to Life podcast. My name is Richard Young, and we have a doozy for you today. It's my girl, Chelsea Crockwell. And man, this one's just special to me uh, for reasons that you'll hear in the podcast. I love her heart. I love, I love how the gospel, when we receive it, changes your life immediately, like immediately. Um, so yeah, that's that Chelsea, her, her interview is coming up and, uh, God just blessed and in, in the way he was able to allow us to do this thing. I want to give a shout out, man. We just, we were just in Denver this last weekend and it was incredible. I met a lot of people who, I have seen through the internet and even interviewed for this podcast, but I'd never met in person before. And it was so awesome to meet people. Um, and then we just did, we just did some gospel and, um, I got to hear about how my buddy that I went to college with Russell, his story, he had a heart attack. His story's crazy. He might be coming up here on the podcast at some point. Um, no, there's just so much stuff that happened this last weekend, and I just praise God just to see how this gospel is just moving and lives are being touched and affected by it. And then what's going on this week, um, if you're listening to this later, you can go back on the Love Realities Instagram. Uh, the, the My homie Justin has been coming out with some content about freedom from pornography, and I know a lot of people have come to the podcast or come to Love Reality's message through um, wanting to get free from pornography or hearing that people have um, been able to stand and walk in the victory that Jesus gave them, and, and they want part of that. And so that's been, uh, Justin and I had a conversation today on Instagram uh, just talking about freedom from pornography. Um, so uh, that is on there. Um, again, this week we had another awesome testimony of the death to life Bible study, which is one uh, thirty central on Tuesdays. If you want the link, please message me or holler at me. Um, and we can get that link link to you. Um, lovereality.org. 
Um, there is more stuff coming up, and we're super excited. And like we always say, it's just it's just more, 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 more. God is pouring out his blessings, and people are receiving this truth, and their lives are being changed. And to hear another story about that, that's what we got Chelsea coming up. And uh, so thank you guys so much. I'm trying to think. Sometimes people are like, you got to say this in the in the in the intro and I forget when I'm doing it cuz I'm doing it right before I edit this mug. Uh I, I think we're good. So buckle up, strap in. Love y'all. Appreciate y'all. Yo Richard, are you about to do the podcast? El que quiera ven a ver, esta vida es nueva Sigue, búscame, lo que tengo te lo doy Lo que ves es lo que soy, hasta que me apague Sigue, sabore, vamos a romper el El que quiera ven a ver, esta vida es nueva Sigue, búscame, lo que tengo te lo doy Lo que ves es lo que soy, hasta que me apague Ya sé que me buscan por allí Rockwell, uh, we recorded last week, Tuesday. last week, Tuesday, a week ago, and it was awesome, amazing story, and I was like, man, what a blessing, and we got off the call, and I went to download it, and it was not, like, there was 19 seconds of you. And I think, I, I don't remember, like, there was something in the beginning where we were messing with it and it, like, something weird happened or something. And I, but I don't remember, I do remember looking at um, the upload thing. And for people who are listening to this, you have no idea what I'm talking about. But when I <laughs> upload it, and it said that you were already uploaded and we we're in the middle of the thing, and I'm like, oh, that's, that's kind of strange, but it didn't connect, like, it's not working, Rich. So now I have like a whole uh, podcast of me listening to you, but none of your, none of your, um, and you know, it was a huge blessing to me in this way. Cause when I messaged you, you were like, that's okay. We'll just do it again. And that was, uh, and, and last week, you know, I'd been, I'd moved to Tennessee. It was kind of a trying like week. And so Right when I was, I was like, I'm not going to be able to have a podcast this week. I'm not going to, you know, I was low key tripping. And, but then I was like, no, Richard, you're good. God loves you. Stop, stop stressing about this stuff. And so here we are again for round two. And uh, I'm just excited. I'm happy you're willing to share uh, your story with me again. I love your story. Um, yes. And so where do you want to start this thing? I do not remember where we started and there is no evidence or recording of where we started. We're going to start at the beginning. So I'm from Bermuda, a little island in the middle of the ocean. The Bermuda Triangle is real or not, depending on who you talk to. So that's where I'm from. And I told you last time that Bermuda has the most churches per square mile in the world. So we have a bunch of different um, denominations. And there are, for the nine parishes that are in Bermuda, 
there are 11 Seventh-day Adventist churches, and I was raised Seventh-day Adventist. So Bermuda, man, the first time I heard your accent, I did not know how to make sense of it. Because it's like you, you, you zigged when I thought you were going to zag. Like you said something. I don't even know. I couldn't, I couldn't impersonate it if, if my life depended on it. Cause I don't even know like the <laughs> mouth shapes that you make. Um, it, it, it's crazy. Like if I'm in the UK, um, they think I sound American. If I'm in American, they think I sound like British slash, slash Caribbean. And I don't, I don't know what I sound like. <laughs> it's just a mystery to me too. <laughs> you sound normal to yourself, right? Sound normal to myself. <laughs> so, so it seems like spirituality and religion is a big thing in Bermuda. It is. It's definitely a Christian kind of dominated um, place. It's a lot more liberal. I think Bermuda tends to follow the U.S. government with prog- progression of things. So it's, um, it's becoming a lot more liberal, but liberal, sorry, liberal, but it's still, um, I guess, conservative at heart. So we kind of see that conflict in our government with new policies and things like that sometimes. <clears throat> but yeah, I definitely grew up in a conservative kind of Seventh-day Adventist space. So I say that I'm dual congregational or bi-congregational. So both my parents, parents, Seventh-day Adventist when I was younger and we have like um kind of like a mega church here in Bermuda, and then um, we have smaller churches. And so my mom's side of the family kind of attended the mega church. They had their own pew, and my dad's side of the family attended another church. And so my dad's father was the head elder at um, one church, and my mom's mom was the head deaconess at another. So I definitely grew up between those two churches, and. Like I said, they were very conservative, kind of legalistic in the way I would describe it now. So my childhood was definitely a beautiful childhood. I remember just having a beautiful experience. I live on a beautiful island with beautiful beaches. I'm the second oldest of 10 grandchildren on my mom's side. So I had squad, like I grew up squad girls. Like we just really- Squad girls? (laughs) That's like my mom- it's a thing. My mom and my aunts, like literally there's a child born every, basically every year of the 90s. So I have this picture on my Instagram. It's like a line of us on our bikes and I'm on my rollerblades. Like I grew up with a squad. So like I had a really awesome childhood, but it definitely had its like violent moments and its legalistic moments that more so than none shaped the way I interacted with life as an adult. So when you say legalistic, like, when you're a child, you don't know what legalism is. You just know you're supposed to behave a certain way, uh, and there's expectations of you as a child. Uh, growing up, like, how did that affect you? Like, you had so your parents. Up, yeah. I did not enjoy Sabbath. <laughs> like, once I got old enough to play, Sabbath was a thing where you could only watch VeggieTales or, like, plant like nature planet and you had to be quiet and take a Sabbath nap after like church and an ay and jay so i really didn't look forward to it because it felt like we weren't allowed to have any fun it was just very strict and i had mentioned that like 
my childhood had very violent moments. So that's really reminiscent of my grandfather or my dad or my mom's side. Sorry. So my, my grandfather grew up physically and like very physically abused by his father. Hmm. And so I definitely think he did a lot better than his father, but he was verbally and physically um, abusive. You know, you got licks. He never hit my sister and I. Um, he didn't hit the girls, but unfortunately the boys did get some some brutal licks sometimes. And um, so he was very easily triggered. So it's walking on eggshells. And I he knew prophecy. He knew Alan G. White, Alan G. White's writings. So I, me looking back on it now, I definitely think he used religion as a means to control, um, to have a very regimented control of the family. Um, but that definitely, he was very easily triggered. And when he was triggered and angry, it got pretty violent and stuff. So, um, growing up, like we just had to be on our P's and Q's all the time, like performance wise, because we didn't know what would trigger Dada, um, <laughs> to be angry or whatever. And he very much used religion as I think a means to have order and control. So Saturdays, like I knew Jesus loved me. Oh, I was told God loved me, but I just really didn't enjoy it because it was like no fun. We couldn't go swimming at the beach. We, my my dad and my my papa and my daddy's side had a pool. We weren't allowed to like swim in the pool on Sabbaths because, you know, you can't, for me, it felt like you can't have fun on Saturdays. So it was just very strict and I I just didn't look forward to it. <laughs> yeah. The Sabbath As an has adult, been... I feel struggle with what is how to reverently keep the Sabbath because I'm just still trying to unlearn. <laughs> yeah, because we've made it about all of these these <laughs> these do's and don'ts. I was talking to my niece on the way over here and we were talking about the commandments and a Christian's relationship to the commandments. And I'm explaining yeah. it like you have the spirit that rose Jesus from the dead and the spirit lives in you. And, you know, and we're explaining all this. And then she says this thing, she's like, Oh, so it's, so it's, it's way more about what you get to do than what you don't get to do. And I was like, yeah. yeah. And yeah. it's kind of like the same way with the garden. It's just like the reason why God's like, don't eat from this tree is because it's the only tree that you can't eat from. You can literally eat from the rest of them, right? And we don't look at it that way. We're just like, what? And so Sabbath, yeah, Sabbath is, Sabbath is not about what you don't get to do. So anyway, um, <laughs> you 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 grew up going to church with both of your parents and being quiet in the pew. I grew up going to church with my grandparents and being quiet in the pew. So I don't remember my mom really coming to church much with me. And my dad, um, he was agnostic. So my dad left the church early after like his early, late, late teens, early 20s. So this was interesting because so my mom and dad married when I was one. They uh -huh. um, they were divorced when I was two. So um, So they weren't married that long. And my mom, she got pregnant at 19 with my sister and pregnant at 21 with me. So she was disfellowshipped from the church when she got pregnant. And my my dad wasn't. And my, I think that was the last kind of straw on the camel's back of my dad. 
and he just kind of left the church completely. He identifies as agnostic. So he says there could be a God, there could not be a God. I don't really know. I'm just going to be the best person that I can be. I'm, I'm going to be a good person. And that's kind of where my dad um, is. And interestingly enough, usually when parents divorce, the children would stay with the mom. But my older sister and I, we actually lived full time with our dad. So I grew up in my main, like where I grew up mainly was in an agnostic home where religion wasn't a thing. Faith wasn't really a thing. And so I had the freedom on one hand not to be forced to go to church, but my dad liked his Saturdays to himself, so he definitely would send us to church with our grandparents, so he got his his one free day a week. So I did, I was raised in the church between my grandparents, but predominantly the environment that I was in was agnostic. It was kind of void of faith. So did the disfellowshipping, did it affect your mom? Did she not want to go to church anymore? Because the whole point of disfellowshipping is to bring somebody back. It's not to kick them out forever. If we really understanding what this, what the, the whole doctrine. purpose of it, yeah. Um, well, how did it affect her? Yeah, I think more so just um, just the relationship she had with her father, and then with the church, kind of took her to check trajectory in life. So I think there was a lot of. Um, I think rejection experience from the type of father that she had being verbally and sometimes physically abusive and being like a rejecting parent. So I think she definitely sought that um, validation in relationships. And so my mom and I actually didn't really have the best relationship in my childhood until into my into my early twenties. Really, we kind of reconciled that. So um, she's just had a very up and down journey where. It's in and out of the church. She never really lost her faith in God, but she she wasn't really in the church too consistently. So it was, I mean, it was confusing. It was a very, as an adult, I found myself really having to unpack how the extremes of conservativeness from my grandparents, because they were very input, like very um, vital in my childhood, as well as just the complete agnosticism of my dad and seeing my mom go in and out of the church, it was no real consistency for me to um, have a strong foundation of what is a good example of a Christian walk, I guess. Hmm. So when did this thing either become your, your thing or when did it become like not your thing? This religion, this spirituality. (laughs) Well, in my childhood growing up, um, I definitely believed in God, especially because another thing with my grandfather on my mom's side is that he was spiritually attacked. So at a very early age, my, my older sister and I and my other cousins, we were, expi- we were exposed to like the dark sides of spiritual warfare. So I remember maybe being around six or seven, being in a taxi one evening and hearing my mom talk to my, I think my great aunt about my grandfather being attacked by like the demons in his sleep and seeing like dark figures attack him. And he was very tormented in that way. And I think hearing that my sister and I, I think the enemy took the opportunity to, (laughs) um, assert his scariness. And I definitely 
became fearful of Satan at a very early age. And I experienced my own spiritual attacks throughout my childhood. And I think just because once you're exposed to that kind of part of the spiritual warfare, it's very real. And so in my youth, I really relied on God to protect me, especially when I slept. I was terrified of the dark for a really long time, even into my adulthood, because I felt so vulnerable going to sleep because I couldn't defend myself or I wasn't alert. So I used to pray, like maybe, I remember being six, seven, like praying, like, Lord, please protect me from the devil and the demons at least seven times before I felt safe enough to fall asleep. And that was definitely due to being exposed to just the spiritual attacks and warfare that my grandfather was tormented with. So from a very early age, I believe that God protected me and I believe that he provided for me. <clears throat> but in my teens, I stepped away from God just because I attended the only seven-day Adventist high school in Bermuda. And just probably like everyone else's experiences, I thought they were very close-minded and judgmental. <laughs> and, <laughs> you know, extremely condemning. Just, just having that culture in school, having that culture at my grandparents' home. I come in with jewelry. My my dad's pops might, might call me Jezebel or if I came home with my nails painted, my granny would say something like, God didn't create your nails green. So there was just, there was always like comments or just an underlining performance that if you don't look a certain way, then your relationship with Christ must not be where it's supposed to be because these physical evidence or behaviors are indicative of something other than pure and Christian-like. So did you really just experience this rebellion then? Like, like I am oh. not about this. Yes, I started to... I'm the type of person, if I'm about to go do the dishes... Well, sorry, pre-freedom, I was the type of person <laughs> that if I was about to go do the dishes and you said you should go do the dishes, I wouldn't do it just because I was on my way and once you tell me what to do, don't tell me what to do with my life. That's, that's kind of how I was. So once I got my bike, so in Bermuda, when you go 16, you get a motorbike. You get your motorbike license. So it's not like the states where you get a car. We get our moped and we have our little bit of freedom on the island. So um, when I was 16, it, and so I, I, that sounds I so scary to me. <laughs> Are there a lot of moped accidents in Bermuda? Oh, yes. Unfortunately, road, um, road fatalities are a big thing here. But it's that's not okay, but bikes are a part of the culture. It's like you cannot wait till you go 16. I, I rode my first motorbike at five. It was a PB Yamaha 50 Scrambler. So at least in my family, we were, we were on them wheels early. <laughs> so... Do people know like all about what mopeds are the best moped by like a certain age? You know, oh, that's the moped I want. And then like the rich kids have a nice moped and the poor kids have a, a worse moped. Yeah, it's definitely what you can afford. Like back in my day, it was the Scoopy. It was the V50. Um, I remember in my dad's, it was a Mobilet. So it's like. And then you have like classic bikes if you can get your hands on it. I remember I was borrowing my friend's bike from back in the day. Cause my car was out of commission and I went to a gas station and they were like, this kid was like, Oh, that's a classic V50 on the hood up, bro. I'm not old enough to be classic. Please turn on your excitement. <laughs> so yeah, bikes, <laughs> bikes are a big thing in Bermuda. It's a part of the culture. When you get 16, you're just looking for that little bit of freedom. And um, when I got mine, 
um, yeah, she, she started to dabble in tomfoolery. <laughs> so what would your parents like, or your guardians, or your grandparents, parents, when you're getting this freedom, when you're experiencing this rebellion, would, what, how would they talk to you? Would, would they say like, Hey, chill or, or were they kind of like, well, she's just got to grow up and do her thing. What was that like? Um, well, I, I rebelled in a spiritual sense, so I stopped going to church. Like, with my freedom, I didn't have to do that. Um, but I was still a very respectful kid. Like, I've never been... My, my my dad raised me really well, and I really respected him. I, I love my daddy so much. I never wanted to disappoint him. So um, <clears throat> I didn't really rebel crazy, but I started to have a boyfriend, and I would go visit him after school. And things of that nature. <laughs> okay, so your experience. Oh, yeah. How did you know what was right, what was wrong, what yeah. what was your? So, um, growing up, dad, growing up in that kind of dual faith space where the predominant hymn that I lived in was void of faith because my dad was agnostic. Um, you know, he had the sex conversation with us early because he didn't want us to get educated by our friends at school and things like that. So, mm-hmm. you know, I knew the consequences of sex. I knew, you know, what it was. My dad bought us books on everything, the American Girl books, you know. <laughs> if he wanted us to learn something, he bought a book about it. And so um, that conversation was, you know, wait till you're old enough, I, um, you know, legal that was 16, I think, in Bermuda. Um, you know, be on birth control, have your own condoms, be protected, you know. And my dad's advice was, like, make sure, like, if you if your first instinct is to say no, don't do it. Only do it if the person is special enough to you, if you want to say yes. Um, and, you know, that was the kind of education I got from my dad. I felt very empowered. My dad's home was such a loving him. I love my daddy so much. He's, like, my favorite. I'm such a daddy's girl. And I grew up in a very affectionate home. So whenever we will leave the room, you'll say, I love you. My dad, you know, you know, my dad affirmed me. So when it came to boys, I definitely didn't, I wasn't seeking um, that kind of validation because anything that I lacked from, from my dad. But later on, I learned that there was some things that I was seeking in that area. But around 16, I did meet somebody that was the first time that, I um, ever kind of wanted to experience that kind of, um, I don't know, part of that relationship with. So <clears throat> I ended up losing my virginity when I, was, when I was 16 to someone who actually ended up being very special to me. Um, during that time, it was very interesting because um, it kind of happened very fast. I lost my virginity very early in us dating. And ironically, during that time in school, um, the Bible class of that year was um, Daniel and Revelation. <laughs> so mm-hmm. the year that I lost my virginity, I'm also like, we're getting anti prophecy. I'm feeling very much like Jesus is coming like soon. And that um, very performative, don't get caught in your sin because you won't be sealed kind of narrative that I grew up in. So I ended up, I think like three months into my relationship after losing my virginity, I said to the gentleman, you know, I really like you and I want to be in a relationship with you, but I feel the need to be celibate because sis didn't want to go hell. (laughs) And um, hold on here. So 
your dad is telling you, you know, wait for this, wait for that. You want to be special. If you're feeling weird, it's no. The other side of the family, like your mom, I don't know if she talks to you about it. Does she say? My grandparents are like, don't do it. Sign the purity virginity certificate at 13 in church. You're going to, don't get caught in your sin. So it was that. And then schools like that too. So being in a seven-day event school is kind of that, um, that kind of culture as well. So in my home that I grew up in, it's natural. It's ha- it happens between two people that you find is special. And then everywhere else is like, you're not going to make it if you're courting. <laughs> so it was so, a very confusing time. So when you, when you make that decision afterwards, could you tell in you like who, what you felt, whether you believe that you had done something wrong or you had done something fine. When I participated in the activity, I didn't feel like I did anything wrong because I honestly made the decision from a place like this person is really special to me. This is the first person that I ever wanted to Mm -hmm. say yes to. But it wasn't until Mm -hmm. school started and I was in Daniel Revelation where the class was like, um, you know, all of these scary things are going to happen and, you know, you don't want to get caught on the wrong side of heaven. And so that mm-hmm. kind of, and up until that point, I had never dealt with that kind of inner conflict between, oh, did I do something that's going to keep me out of heaven until I had sex for the first time. And so then when I had mentioned to that person that I wanted to be celibate, they were very honest, which I respected. And they said, you know, that's kind of not what I really want. And they kind of broke up with me. So it was very interesting because in that moment, I think a lie that the devil had took an opportunity to establish with my dad was that, you know, he had told me to do if someone's special. So I just automatically assumed for someone to choose to do that with me, I must be very special to do that with. And then when this person broke up with me specifically because my body was no longer accessible in that way, I guess, um, he broke up with me. And in that moment, I didn't realize, but the lie was rooted that if my body isn't involved, then I will be rejected that way. And so I ended up um, getting into another relationship that was very briefly and engaged in sexual activity after that. And then at 19, sorry, at 17, I entered into my first long-term relationship and that lasted two years. And I also um, was sexually active in that relationship. And about like 17, around like my 11th grade year, I just kind of pieced out of the whole kind of church culture period. I was just at school. I didn't really care. I was tired of feeling condemned all the time or judged all the time or having Bible teachers tell me that if a girl's having sex before marriage, they lose their value. So I just kind of peaced out. I'm like, my daddy has a good life. He's well off. He's done really well for himself and he doesn't believe in God. And I'm just going to do what my daddy does. And I decided to be agnostic around 17, 18. Yeah. So it was just too, too heavy a burden to bear to uh to deal with the guilt yeah so when you when you left that did the guilt did it get taken care of the guilt got taken care of it just it it was gone i was starting to live my best life 
<laughs> what I thought was my best life, at least. Okay, so you're living your best life. Uh, what what happens? What happens next? Well, what happens next is um, the the person that I lost my virginity to. We ended up reconnecting when I was 19, and we um, we just entered into a long term relationship from there. So our relationship was 19 to 27. I'm 29, and throughout that time, the first few years, it was very awesome to me. Um, we were very like-minded in the sense that we were both very um, ambitious. Um, we both have an entrepreneurial spirit. Um, we really, really loved and cared for each other. It was very affectionate. Um, but God has a, um, a funny way <laughs> of bringing me, bringing me back. So it looked like me getting my first full-time job around 20 and making really good money for a 20-year-old contacts. I do not have a college education. Um, I went away to school, failed physics, came back to Bermuda. I was in Bermuda College for two years. And physics then, is the worst. I don't blame you. I hate uh, physics. Physics is the worst. And, you know, God's got a plan because I was on track to become a veterinarian student. I had conditional acceptance to Glasgow University for veterinary medicine. And God knew that wasn't the way. So thank God I feel physics. That was a whole blessing. <laughs> I'm not even gonna lie. That was a whole blessing. <laughs> it was a whole <laughs> blessing. Um, so I came back to Bermuda. We have a an associate's college here. And my dad was like, I'm not paying for you to do something twice. So I had to pay for my own education when I came back. And in the midst of doing my two-year associates, I got offered a full-time job at the Bermuda Aquarium Museum and Zoo as an aquarist. I'll feed the seals, I'll scuba dive in the tank. And I had actually been working there since I was 14 part-time. And so I just kind of grandfathered into a full-time position. So I was making really good money um, as a 20-year-old and enough to like move out and get my first apartment. And the reason why I wanted to move out, because my dad said I could have lived with him for like two years, but you know, his house, his rules... My boyfriend couldn't mm-hmm. sleep over. That wasn't cool to me. I'm like, I'm paying my own education. I'm you know, buying my own groceries. Like, you have a girlfriend. Why can she sleep over? My Clearly, it's his house, right? So he can do what he wants in his house. I couldn't. So I was like, fine. My house, my rules. Like, I would go get my own roof. And that's what I did. Hindsight could have saved a lot more money if I stayed. But whatever. You learn. You live and you learn. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I had my own apartment. I had my own transportation. My boyfriend was living with me. Life seemed good. We seemed on the direction towards marriage, which had always been important to me. So life seemed good. So life is good. Heading towards marriage in your mind. You're making that first amount of money. Um, is So God, God's not really in the picture at all. Nope, I didn't go to church for like maybe two, three years straight. I was, I let me tell you, when I really decided that I'm not going to do the gold thing, sis went and got a bacon sandwich for the first time. We was like, we're going to try this food. <laughs> <laughs> and bacon right, was me... delicious. I'm not, it was. I don't eat it now. That's not clean. But when I said I was spiritually rebellious, I went there. And it was nothing else on the sandwich but bacon and bread. You're like, ah, uh, let me get uh, just pig and bread, please. <laughs> that is so funny. And for those, for someone listening who's not an Adventist, um, 
probably the most rebellious thing you can do <laughs> as an Adventist is is get 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 some jewelry on and and eat some bacon. <laughs> some bacon. And that's how you're telling God, like, I'm not with it. Um, oh yeah. That's it's sad. Uh so what happened? Like you're 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 all the way out, but we're on this podcast for some reason. So something had to happen. So my granny, go use my granny. So my mom's mom. For clarification, my dad's parents are Nana and Papa, and my mom's parents are Granny and Dada. So, so my granny, it was her birthday. Is that a Bermuda thing, or is that just a your family thing? I think it's a my family thing. <laughs> well, the Dada part, I think, is definitely my family thing. Um, <clears throat> yes, I remember, I don't know, maybe I was like maybe 22 maybe 23, that kind of age. And my mm-hmm. granny's birthday fell on a Saturday this year. So she asked me, she's like, Chelsea, all I want for my birthday is for all of my grandchildren, my family to come church. And I'm like, granny, you know I ain't been church in a minute. And she's like, but it's the only thing that I want for my birthday. So she's really good at laying on that guilt trip thick. Mm-hmm. So I was like, fine, I will go. And so that night, I remember my godparents calling me, asking me to babysit. And I was like, cool, I could get out of going to church. Granny can't be mad because my godparents asked me to babysit, like, clear. So I ended up going to the house first thing in the morning, ready to babysit. And they opened the door and they're like, oh, we got another babysitter. I'm like, but when? You call me at like 10 o'clock at night to ask me, like, when did you have time to get another <laughs> babysitter? I was irritated. I was like, fine, I'll just go to my granny's house and decorate the cake. She can't be mad at me for decorating the cake. And when I get there, my uncle and his son was just leaving for church. And they're like, are you coming to church? I'm like, no, it's late. Like, what's the point of going now? And it's like better to get there late than never. And I was like fine, I'll go. So I went and got dressed and I got on my, my motorbike and I was riding to, to town, um, to our, this trips me out. (laughs) The motorbike stuff trips me out. Like, fine, I'm gonna go to church. Hopped on my moped. That's crazy. Okay. Keep going. I hopped on my bike and, um, I came up to this junction where it's like a stop sign on either side of the road. So the person, I can't remember exactly, but the person on the direction that I was in had to wait for the other person to get the right away. But I decided to like overtake and kind of go between it. I, that rule lapsed my judgment for that moment. And I literally was about to get into an accident. Like <clears throat> it's a thing where you know you're about to get hit. Mm-hmm. And I've, I've slid out. I've, you know, had my share of accidents over the years. My my guardian angel, Charlie, that's his name. It's my guardian angel. Charlie has worked <laughs> overtime in my life, especially on my Charlie bike. Charlie the angel. <laughs> I'm telling you, I can't wait to meet him. So um, I remember just closing my eyes, preparing for impact, because I knew I did something really silly on the road, and um, a car was coming right for me, and I was ready for impact, and I didn't get hit. So I opened my eyes, and I'm like, I didn't get hit. And so I was just a little shaken up, you know, I was a little shaky. And so when I got to church, finally got to church for my granny's birthday, and the sermon hadn't even started yet. And the sermon was preached, like, just for me. I swear, I can't even remember what the message was about. I just remember feeling like, wow, that was spoken, like, right to me. 
And that was kind of the seed that made me start thinking about God again. It made me feel like maybe God's trying to reach out to me. Also, at that time, I mentioned that I was working at the aquarium. So the aquarium does shift work. So somebody will work Sunday to Thursday and that Friday, Saturday off. And somebody will work Tuesday to Saturday and have Sunday, Monday off. At that time, in my spiritual mm-hmm. rebellion, mm-hmm. I was working Saturdays. Um, and <laughs> maybe a couple, a couple of months after that experience of going to church and feeling like that message was for me, I somehow got to, we was in a transition where we was bringing on new staff and I had like three weekends where I had Saturday and Sunday off. So I said, I might as well just go to church. And I ended up going to the church of the Bible teacher that taught me in um, 11th grade, the same year I lost my virginity, the Daniel Revelation class, because I had um, just felt like he was really open and not judgmental, like one of the very few people from school that I felt that way. So, so wait, up- you have no idea what this sermon was about? This one I- that you're just like, oh, that's for me, I'm back. I can't, I honestly can't remember. I just, I remember it feeling really relevant, and I remember it feeling like it was speaking to me, but I can't, I honestly can't remember what it was about. Did it make you feel guilty or did it make you, I guess you don't know. I'm just it like, didn't make you feel shout guilty. out to that pastor. It was actually like an outer or like a, it wasn't even a pastor. It was just, um, it was like, I guess an outer or a deacon or some, a public figure, somebody. It was one of the Keynes brothers. Um, but I just remember feeling like God was speaking to me. I didn't feel guilty. I just felt like, Hey, I think God's speaking to me. And so then a couple of uh, months afterwards, when I had these three weekends off and I went to um, Somerset Church, the very I stepped into that church and the very first sermon was on adultery and fornication. And that <laughs> is when I felt guilty. So I was like, okay, God, you ain't playing because I'm, you know, this is the first time I'm intentionally walking into a church of myself and not being coerced or guilt tripped into getting here. And the very first sermon is on adultery and fornication. And um, I, I did start to feel guilty. And I remember, like, um, I think I went to church this three weeks. And I remember riding home one day because I remember that day clearly. And my ex remembers it too. Like, he wanted to participate in sexual activity before I went to church. And I was like, no, it's a Sabbath. I can't do that all of a sudden. (laughs) (laughs) And then I come back from church and I'm bawling. I'm crying because I had made the decision in my heart that, like, no, I'm not supposed to be having sex. So I made the decision to be celibate. And I think hindsight, looking back, I was already crying on my way to tell him because the last time we had this conversation when I was 16, he broke up with me. So I was already, I think, preparing myself for that rejection because a lie that the devil planted at that age of 16 is that if my body wasn't involved, then I would eventually be rejected. So, um, but I knew, I just, I just knew, like I felt convicted that that's not what God really wanted me to participate in. Hmm. And my, so, my best life went downhill from there. <laughs> yeah, how did he take it when you're just like, yeah, I'm not about it anymore? He, he, um, at first it seemed like he took it well, like, you know, I'll support you. We have history now. I'm not leaving. But I think that necessarily wasn't the case because eventually it might have been a couple of weeks 
a month or so without doing it. But I think eventually he started to feel rejected by me not accepting that type of affection. He says that his love language is, you know, physical touch. So yeah, that's what every guy says. I put put it in quotations for the people who are listening. Yeah. Um, My love language is physical touch too. (laughs) Right. Yeah. So, you know, over a period of time, it was just a cycle of, you know, being celibate long enough, then me noticing that he's, he's starting to feel rejected, then I fear being rejected. is because I fear being rejected, then I would participate in it. And then I would feel guilty that I participated and then make him feel guilty that we participated in it. And then it just, sex just did not become, it was just, a, it was a very emotional thing. It wasn't fun. No, it sounds awful. It does it not was, sound what it was created to be at, at all. And we just had two different, um, you know, fundamental beliefs of what sex was. He felt that, you know, we were in a committed relationship. We already had the commitment of marriage in our hearts. So just because we didn't have the legal papers in, in God's eyes, you know, we're married. We have that commitment. Like, sex shouldn't be an issue. And in my heart, it's like, no, you haven't asked me to be your wife. We haven't been married in front of families. We're not married. So this is fornication and it was that kind of back and forth for the next like five or six years mercy that will do that that's like a lot of weight for a couple to bear like because it it seems like you can't really be like what is like there, there can be happy times but yeah, and that's the thing. It's like, I think we lasted so long because we genuinely loved each other. Like, mm-hmm. genuinely, like, I still love him. Like, mm-hmm. like he means so much to me. 19 to 27 and also starting that friendship and relationship mm-hmm. 16, that's my whole adulthood, mm-hmm. pretty much. Besides that period of 17 to 19 when I was in another long-term relationship with someone else I, I do very much care about as well. So I don't think you could genuinely be in a relationship with someone and just stop caring for them when you invest no. No, so absolutely. I think it lasted so long because we had we shared the same ambition. We were both entrepreneur entrepreneurial spirits. We loved each other. We wanted to see each other succeed and we had, had history. And it was just we just didn't agree on that fundamental. But I think the best way I could describe it is like him really wanting to listen to R and B music. Me really want to listen to some like Fire Maverick City, but because we want to be in each other's lives, we compromise for a good instrumental. Like that's what it was. So, <laughs> not, like neither of us are jamming out to our best lives because we want to be in each other's lives, but it wasn't. I I can't say that was. We had very happy, joyful moments, but it was always that underlying we're not fundamentally agreeing about this and our, and the sex is not what God created to be because it's just burdened with guilt and shame and negative emotions after it. And also I think there was a lot of like, from what I believe, um, like he accused me a few times of stepping out. Like if I'm not having sex with him, then I must be getting somewhere else. And I'm like, no, I just, I'm trying to live for Jesus here. So it was just because we weren't on the same page fundamentally, I think there was just a lot of misunderstandings of intentions and 
things like that. And like I said, we loved each other and there was good moments. So I think that's why it lasted as long as it did. <clears throat> so then what, what happens next? Like what, what is there a point where you're just like, yeah, I can't like, yeah. Um, how did this I thing resolve itself? And so at the end of 2019, I just emotionally crashed. I, I was existing in a space where I just felt hurt and rejected continually because marriage was such a big thing to me. And I think my aunt had asked me once, like, why is marriage so important to you? And I honestly couldn't really answer, but like being chosen to be someone's wife was like the epitome of being chosen to me. That was what Hmm. that mission was. And so every day, you know, it was this promise that we'll be married soon, we'll get married soon, and that never happened. And I didn't handle disappointment well. So it got to a point where I was just hyper aware that this probably would never happen. And I was feeling like, how long are you going to stay in a relationship on a maybe, Chelsea? And I was starting to feel very exhausted and hurt. And I didn't, I didn't know where to begin to start healing my own heart, let alone healing this relationship. And the Christianity at that point became very toxic on my part because like we talked about in my past, I grew up in a, if it doesn't look this way, if you, if you don't keep the Sabbath this way, if your Christianity doesn't look this way, then you must not have a good relationship with Christ. So because he wasn't studying the way I thought a Christian should study, he weren't reading his Bible, he wasn't praying. I just positioned him as not having a relationship with God at all. And that pushed him away from God even more. So I'm here in this whole relationship, praying for him to be saved, praying for his salvation, just wanting God. Because if he just believed in what I believed in, the way I believed in, then we'll be equally yoked and this wouldn't even be an issue and we'll be married and we'll be happy. I definitely think I stayed in the hope of what it could be if he was quote unquote saved in the way I understood it. But at towards the end of 2019, I just, the metaphor God gave me, especially for kind of sex before marriage, is like every friendship or relationship is like boarding a plane with somebody. And an activity is like taken off in the plane. So if I have a friendship with somebody and we do an activity like go bowling, our plane takes off and when the activity is finished, it lands safely into the friendship airport. If you're in a marriage and you take off in the activity of sex and you're doing all of this, plane flips and turns, your plane lands (laughs) safely in the marriage airport and you're okay. But for me, participating in sex in a relationship that's that's not married was like taking off in a plane and having nowhere to land because it's not Mm. friendship, it's not marriage. So I think towards the end of 2019, my plane just finally ran out of fuel and I just emotionally and spiritually crashed. And I called it. I was like, I can't do this anymore. And I definitely knew my ex was, I think he kind of saw it coming because I he could tell that I was becoming like short and less patient and then just kind of emotionally distancing myself because of the hurt that I was feeling. But he's the type of person who would have toughed out those difficult times till it got better. I just didn't foresee it getting better because as I got closer and closer to God, it just felt like, we were growing farther and farther apart and there was more tension, more misunderstanding. And I just didn't feel like it was going to get better. So 
I made the decision to end our almost over decade long relationship. And that was not easy. Yeah, it sounds horrible. It sounds like it would be one of the most painful things ever. It really was. And I experienced some very painful things. Like um, in 2016, we had talked about road fatality. So in 2016, my first cousin, Ezzy, who's a part of, who was a part of Squad Girls, you know, unfortunately, he was the second road fatality in Bermuda of 2016. A, car, a truck wasn't patient enough and crossed his side of the road before, I guess, really looking and rode over my cousin. And I watched mm. him pass in the ICU. And um, mm. in 2017, I also lost my uncle to suicide. And so in 2019, I knew what grief felt like. Like, I, mm-hmm. I know what, like, an unexpected grief is. And walking away from my relationship felt just as gut-wrenching as those experiences did. Yeah. So you wanted, like, freedom from this tumultuous going back and forth and your relationship with God and your relationship with this guy and like, did it give you the peace that you wanted when the relationship was over? At first it did because, well, I remember I had made the decision to get rebaptized after. Um, so another thing to note about 2019 is that I attended GYC, which is like a grassroots conference at the end of 2019, beginning of 2020. Like we brought in the new year in GYC. And at this period of time, my ex and I were still living together. So when I came back from GYC, I just felt really convicted that, you know, God is really calling me to make him fresh in my life, to choose God. And Throughout the relationship, I felt like I really struggled with idolatry because I felt like every time I participated in sex, it was me choosing my acts over God. Like I didn't love God enough because in that moment I chose sex or I chose to please my acts instead of choosing to please God. So I felt like I really struggled with idolatry. So um, when I came back from GYC, my one of my friends said that I could live with her while my, my acts was still... <clears throat> getting his things together and moving out. And so when I was in that space of living in someone else's home, I decided to get rebaptized, hoping that, you know, this was reestablishing and reaffirming my decision to put God first. And um, the day before I made that decision to get baptized, I felt an overwhelming sense of emotion. And I remember just being crouched on at work bawling my eyes out because it was the first time I had made the decision to walk away from my relationship for good. And um, it really felt like in that moment, like choosing God over over that whole struggle of fornication and idolatry and just that whole thing. And so after that moment, I thought that I had come into peace, but it wasn't, it didn't last long. Hmm. So then if that didn't last long, what took its place? Um, well, I started to talk to a gentleman that I met at GYC who was in the church. 
And I thought that this was what was the problem because obviously my ex and I was not equally yoked and that was the issue. If he would have been equally yoked, it would have worked. So this person is in the church. They have <clears throat> a position in the church. So this would just work. And I learned very early that the pressure to be sexually immoral is not just um, <laughs> isolated to the population outside of church. And so... <laughs> <laughs> um so I just I realized that um the person that I started to talk to very briefly did not reflect the character of Christ that I believe God was growing in me and I was very discouraged because again I think also that stigma that seven day event is married quick marriage had become an I think an idol for me it had become so important that I just wanted to be married I don't know why it was just it, it, at that point I guess it didn't matter <laughs> I just wanted to be married I wanted to well, because yes. it was going to say something about you that you were wanted, yeah. that you were enough. Chosen in that you, way, and yeah. after doing nine years of not being chosen in that way, I think that's the validation that I was looking for. But thank God that didn't work out because I, I, I saw very early that this person didn't, at that moment, didn't have the character of Christ that I knew God was developing in me. So, um. Yeah, I, I that ended very quickly, and then it was what I call my season of so-called singleness. <laughs> so, what happens in this season of so-called singleness? It was during the pandemic, so it was very interesting because it was like quarantine and lockdown. So it was like living alone and being very isolated um, because um, we had a lockdown, like end of March, early April for my birthday. And <clears throat> it was just um, a, a really interesting time for God and I because he started to kind of show me my toxic traits, show me where my Christianity was hurtful to other people. I had went into like a life coaching session and I started to learn where I had started seeking an external validation or rejection from like where in my childhood that could have been rooted and go really started mm -hmm. the process of like healing and me. I'm a why person. So go really started to show me where my whys was, why I was responding this way or why hmm. I was seeking external validation. So I had mentioned earlier that my mom and I didn't have the best relationship in our, in, in my childhood. And I remember an experience where she had promised to spend the day with me um, and she uh, forgot about me that day. So I remember waiting at my grandparents' house for her to pick me up and she didn't She didn't come. My auntie was like, do you want to come with us to the beach? I'm like, no, my mom's going to come. And then she didn't come. And then my uncle was like, we're going to go down to the track to watch the boys race motocross. You want to come? I'm like, no, my mom's going to come. And she didn't come. And I found out when she finally came, that she had spent the day at a hotel in Bermuda at the pool there with my sister and one of my god sisters, and they had a blast. And in that mm. moment, around like I think I was eight or nine, the devil really implanted the thought process or the lie that I was forgettable, that my mom chose my sister over me. And that wasn't the case, but as an eight year old, that's how I felt in that disappointment. Right. So I felt like I wasn't chosen. I felt like um, I wasn't loved as much. So I can. Um, and also I had mentioned that my mom, you know, had this not so great relationship with her father. So I think she sought validation in boyfriends. And so boyfriends were a priority for her 
throughout my childhood as well. So I, I felt that kind of feeling as well towards boyfriends, like they were the priority. She kind of chased them over me. And I was really thankful for the structure and, and, and the love that being in my dad's care gave me. So my mom was very present in my life, but it was not the most emotionally stable experience. So I'm very thankful for the stability that my, my father provided. I don't think I would be the person that I am today without my dad. And that was very mm. confusing too, because with my dad being agnostic and not, and I know he doesn't believe in God, he was always so forgiving, so loving. I experienced unconditional love with him. There was always grace. Like I say to him all the time, it's so crazy that you don't believe in God because the reason why it's so easy for me to view God as a father is because you were such a good father to me. Mm. And then all the people in my life who claim to be Christian were so judgmental and condemning and it was performative that I really couldn't wrap my head around why I get what I feel like I'm supposed to get from God in a non-faith environment and I just totally want to reject the faith environment yeah hmm so 2020 you're you're getting some of these things revealed to you Mm -hmm. uh it's a pandemic you're kind of all alone what what happens next? So during the pandemic, also my my older sister and her husband owned a vegan grocery store. So I was an employee there. So I was very blessed to still be able to work because it was an essential business. And my friend Asher started to pop in the store <laughs> as God is like working through all of these things with me. He would like come into the store and be like, you know, you're the righteousness of God. No, I'm like, what are you talking about, Ash? Like just kind of dropping these like gems where I'm like in awe of like how, I don't know, free he seems, but also like very confused because he'd be like, Chelsea, just chill. Like you don't have to, it's not something you strive. I'm like, yo, what church are you going to? It's not our church. Did he do it the way he does it on Zoom where like he'll say something and then just leave? Yes, like walk out the door that's exactly like, what he did. He'll pop in the like, store. like, yo, Jesus trusts your beautiful heart. He made you that way. And then he's gone. And what, then he's gone. That's exactly what it was. And like, I was intrigued, but also very confused. I'm like, what? Like, Holy Spirit crack is this guy on? I didn't get it. I didn't get it. And he ended up sending, <laughs> <laughs> he ended up sending me a love reality Um sermon he sent me the link to the sermon and i think i watched it for two minutes and i was like what is this and i turned it off i think i weren't in the mood in it and i didn't look at it again like that that was in the middle of 2020 and i didn't look at it again and then after the kind of lockdown ended and restrictions ended um um i ended up i started hanging out with um a previous person that was I was close with, and we ended up having sex in August. So this was after, um, again, after I had broke up with my longtime boyfriend to be celibate. And this is where God started to show me that it wasn't the celibacy that was a problem. Like sex wasn't the problem. The problem was that I wanted to be chosen and that I was willing to compromise what I knew to be what God was calling me to be, which was, you know, celibate to be chosen. So, I was like, God, I left this long-term relationship to be celibate, and yet I find myself now having sex. And like, what was the point? Because if I was going to have sex anyway, why put myself through that 
pain of leaving that relationship. And that's when he started to reveal to me the problem wasn't sex because it's not that big of a deal to me, honestly. It was being validated and being chosen. And I think growing up, um, it's very interesting. I remember with my dad, him being so important to me, I never wanted to disappoint my dad. Like I never wanted to disappoint him. Like, I just feel like he did so much for me in my life and I loved him so much that disappointing him was something I never wanted to do. And in my romantic relationship, I just wanted to be chosen and I wanted to reach the goal of marriage. And both those those toxic things showed up in my relationship with God. Whereas as a heavenly father, I believe he protected me. I believe he provided for me. I believed he loved me. I believed I was a daughter, but I felt like I didn't love him enough because I disappointed him all the time because I kept falling into the pattern of fornication. And so that kind of not wanting to disappoint him, like I don't want to disappoint my earthly father, but then also not wanting to be rejected and not meet the girl of heaven, not want to be rejected in judgment. So it was this fear-based thing with God that I didn't want to be on the other side of heaven. And then I also realized how much he loved me and how much he provided for me, but I just felt like I was constantly disappointing him. So that was kind of, you know, that song, that Christmas song, you better watch out, you better not cry, you better not part yeah, of the yeah, yeah. Like he sees you when you're sleeping. He knows when you're awake. That's kind of my relationship with God. It's like, he knows when I'm good or bad. So be good for goodness sakes. Like that was like, <laughs> that's the best way to describe That is it. not the gospel, by the way. That is, that is not the gospel, but that's, that's where I was. So it's just crazy because over the years, even struggling with my long-term relationship, I was reading the Bible. I was, I had preached a few sermons. I was sharing my testimony. It's like, I really believe like, that I knew the gospel, like throughout this whole time, I am not, not studying. I'm studying hard and I'm reading Allergy White and I'm reading lessons on faith and I'm reading these things and I'm gaining this knowledge. But because it was all rooted in performance, not wanting to disappoint God, feeling like I didn't love God enough and not, and not wanting to be get caught in my sin, it, it was just, it wasn't it. Mm. So I remember after having sex in August and God started to reveal to me that, you know, sex actually isn't the problem. The root of it is even deeper. I um, <clears throat> I was experiencing now this very chronic pain in my um, pelvic area. And at first I thought it was trapped gas. It, it wasn't trapped gas. <laughs> no. um, it ended up being a endometrioma cyst on my left ovary that was um, aggravated and it triggered this chronic pain. So when I finally was able to see a doctor about it in maybe two months, so it was the pain started beginning of September. I didn't actually see a gynecologist and get a diagnosis until November. And um, they said that that I had endometriosis, which is a hormonal imbalance is when the um, um, endometrium tissue grows where it's not supposed to grow. And so in this case, it grew on my left ovary and they didn't know how long it had been growing, but it was, a, it was the size of a golf ball or bigger. And so endometriosis oh, is in no. the top, yeah, it's in the top 20 most painful um, diseases and it's equivalent. The pain is equivalent to breath pains or labor pains or kidney stone pains. And from September, that chronic pain I experienced about 21 days a month until February. So from September to February. And so in this period of time, it was crazy because 
it's like I wasn't mad at God. I didn't I didn't believe that God was punishing me, but I also thought it was my penitence for all the years that I indulged in sexual um immorality or fornication. So it's like I don't I didn't believe God was punishing me, but I did think that he was allowing me to experience the consequence of my actions. And so it was and even at that time I was um learning the health message, so I even for the first month or so tried to like heal myself naturally because I earned this pain. So I have to earn the healing by doing it the God's way, the natural mm. surgery. And it got to some times where I asked God, like, you don't have to wake me up in the morning. Like this pain is so unbearable that like, wow. I'm okay if you don't wake me up. I didn't believe in taking my own life because I, I believed in God. So I believe that if he woke me up, he had a purpose and a plan for my life. But I was like, but if you mm-hmm. don't, that's not the worst thing because yeah, I was in so much pain. I can't worst. even explain the unparable pain that I was in. I was just, if I didn't wake up, it was okay. <laughs> but um, I ended up meeting with my, my, my gynecologist ended up, we could do surgery. But because of COVID and the pandemic, it was a long OR schedule. So I wouldn't have a surgery appointment until February. So it was a very long and painful year <laughs> but it seemed like um it seems like that that uh surgery comes right on time it really does it it really does um god is so good like during the pandemic just so many so many positive things happened i came into the pandemic around 199 pounds i came out of the pandemic 45 pounds lighter his health message um, you know, God just really revealed just truth to me. And so around February when I had surgery, uh-huh. I had went into surgery expecting to lose my left ovary. Like I just didn't think I earned it or deserved it. I'm like, this is the consequence of fornicating for so long. Like this is what happens. And so mm-hmm. I had stopped praying for God to keep my ovary because I honestly didn't believe I earned it or deserved it because that's how deeply rooted in condemnation and performance performance that I was in at that time. And I remember feeling brave enough to go into surgery. And I asked the um, people of the OR team before we surgery, if we could pray. And only one person Mm. opted out to pray with me. And as soon as I started praying, I just started bawling. Um, I think Mm. just gravity of this is a very big surgery is about to happen. And so I remember waking up from surgery and my gynecologist coming up to me who did the surgery said, Chelsea, we was able to keep your left ovary. And I was like, what? It was like for the first time ever, it was like I experienced grace. Because it was like, I really didn't expect to keep my ovary because I didn't think I deserved it. But God was like, no, that's a gift. Like, that's a gift. Like, I felt Hmm. like keeping my ovary was a gift. And then... um. Yeah, and around that time, my ex had, of the nine years had found out that I, you know, we had kind of reconnected because during during that time of pain, God was revealing to me a lot about my Christianity and how my Christianity was hurting people and how, because I was existing in condemnation and because I wasn't giving myself grace and because I didn't know how to receive God's love, that's what people was experiencing through me. They was experiencing condemnation. They was experiencing judgment. They weren't meeting Jesus. They were meeting this condemning 
judgmental, rigid, commandment-keeping um, version of Jesus that I was putting out there. And so um, we had reconnected because God had put in my heart to hold myself accountable and apologize for my toxic Christianity. So during that time of healing from surgery, he came around and we started kind of reconnecting and stuff. And um, I remember he came over one day and um, we were, oh, I I did mention that during that time, uh, I didn't mention, during that time of immense pain that I was having, him and I had sex again. And it was so crazy because I I had thought to myself, see, God, let me go through this pain because I'm never going to have sex again because this is so painful. And I ended up having sex in that pain because being chosen in that way was so deeply rooted in me. And I didn't understand that. So now after surgery, after I'm I'm healing up a bit, um, I just remember him coming over and he was kind of snuggling with me and I just felt immensely guilty and I just was like, I don't want to go down this path again. I feel I'm just feeling condemning. Like everything I do is wrong. I felt mm. like if I watched too much Netflix, I didn't put God first. If I listened too much, too much secular music, I contemplated if I ever wanted to get married because how do I not make my husband an idol if I if I think about them more than I thought about God, God has shown me the verse, a double-minded man is unstable in all their ways. And in condemnation, I interpreted that if I don't have God on my mind first all the time, then anything I do more than spend time with Jesus is idolatry. Like that's how deeply rooted in performance base I was. So I remember sitting on my bed, healing from surgery one day and just feeling like, God, this isn't it. Like Hmm. I'm sure my testimonies on Instagram. I'm sharing the object lessons that you blessed me with. I'm like, I want to be your most used servant, but then I feel like I don't love you enough. And I feel like I'm always disappointing you. And I always feel condemned and guilty. I can't do anything without feeling like I'm not choosing you first. And like, this is not what a relationship with you is supposed to feel like. So I remember sitting on my bed and I decided to research the definitions of condemnation, condemn, guilt, and shame. And I'm on my bed literally physically writing out these dictionary definitions because my thought process is if I, I can understand the words and what they mean, then I can understand why I'm feeling this way. And then after I went through that process, I started to go into the concordance because sis was about to hit every single verse on these subjects. I was determined hmm to understand Hmm. condemnation because I was so tired of feeling like I believe I'm a daughter of God, but it just, it was so exhausting. It was so exhausting. So I'm on my bed about, I'm going through the concordance and then I get a message from none other than Asher. And he's Hmm. like, he was like, sis, are you free? And I'm like, well, I'm free in time because I'm healing from surgery and I can't go anywhere for like six to eight weeks. I'm bedridden. So like I'm free in time, but I can't go anywhere. He was like the future Chelsea via internet. Like, would you like to come to a virtual Bible study on zoom? And I was like, Oh yeah, I could do that. (laughs) Like I don't got nothing else to do. (laughs) So this was a Tuesday afternoon at three 30 Bermuda time, which is one 30 central time. And I know what happens then. (laughs) 
the um the um, Bible study link that he sent me was called Death to Life. So I'm like, okay, I pop on this link and there's this this you know this dude named Richard and there's also this other this bold guy named Tyler. And like I'm like, okay, this seems you know interesting. And then they just thought, what was your okay? What was your first uh, impression? Like you see Death to Life, you're like, okay, and then you see Tyler and I. And I think this is probably our first one. I don't. I don't know. What oh, What no. was a uh, What was your first I was, impression? I was intrigued because remember I had signed on and it came up as Church Clark because I accidentally logged on with the wrong email, and you was like, "Who's Church Clark?" And I'm like, it's, oh, my name's Chelsea." And so I could tell that you guys had like a very you know open fun because he was kind of joking around about the church clerk thing so it felt like a very safe environment so i was intrigued it seemed like good vibes so far so and then they just played this video called free from sin and it's this vlog style video it's like do you know this guy named jonathan do you know that you're free from the power um and prison and penalty of sin and when he said prison he was like double-minded prison i'm like He's like, you're free from condemnation. And I'm like, looking like, what? I'm like, what? Like, if people could see my face, I looked so confused because moments before, I'm sitting on my bed writing out the dictionary definition of condemnation. And I and randomly, like I hadn't heard from Asher in months. Randomly, I get this message, like, come on to this Bible study. And it's like, you are free from sin. You are free from condemnation. And I'm just like excuse me? <laughs> and I literally was just like absorbing that vlog. And then you guys like went into the Bible and I was like, like, this is where it says in Ephesians and where you're free from sin and in Colossians and in Romans 7. And I'm just like, just looking real confused. Cause I'm like, but what about accountability though? What about striving? What about my efforts? And I was just really confused. And did you ask any questions? I feel like I did. I was like, but what, um, because he was like, but righteous. And I'm like, I think I was like, but what about striving? Like, what about accountability? And you was like, it's got nothing to do with you. It's a gift. Like Jesus set you free on the cross. The cross was a completed work. You know, you're free from the double-minded prison of sin. And I was like, but what is double-mindedness? Like I, because previously to this, I thought it was, being singly focused on Jesus and nothing else. And if you focus on anything else, then you're double-minded. But they were like, no, double-minded is knowing that Jesus Christ died on the cross and freed you from sin, but still participating in flesh as if you don't know your identity. I'm like, well, what is my identity? I don't, what are you guys talking about? So I was just, like, my face was contorted because it's like I wanted to believe what was being presented to me, but just with, the culture that I grew up in, the performative, the legalism, the keeping the Sabbath a strict way, it was my my spiritual clothes were clinging to to the way I had been presented the gospel really tight because it just felt like what you guys were saying was blasphemy. So this is only an hour-long Bible study. And uh, yeah, you were tripping then. And how, like as it's ending... Like, so as his ending, Richard, he is he asks me these famous questions. He's like, Chelsea, do you believe you're the righteousness of Christ? Well, you believe you're the righteousness of God in Christ now. And I was like, uh, uh, yeah, yeah, yes. And he was like, I think 
Like, I think you need to get this today. Could you stay on after the Bible studies? Because I feel like you need to get this today. Like, you can't leave without getting it. And I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm down to stay on. So everybody left the Bible study. And because you were, I guess, a co-host, it was just us. And you was like, like, let me show you in the Bible where it says, like, you are holy and blameless and above reproach. You're like, do you believe in Jesus Christ? Like, do you believe he died on the cross for you? I'm like, yes. Duh. Yes. He's like, well... You're free. Like, you, you're, there's no condemnation for this in Christ. And I was like, okay. And I was like, he was like, you, you were like, do you believe what your life lived about you? Or do you believe what the Bible says about you? And that really, it was that what you said that really, like, kind of hit it for me. Because, you know, lessons of faith, Wagner and Jens, like, the word, mm-hmm. faith is that the word of God would accomplish what the word of God says by the word of God alone. And I was firm in that understanding. So when you said, do you believe what the word of God says about you or your life lived? I'm like, yo, I think I'm going to believe what the word of God says about me. I want to give a shout out to my man, Mike Carter. And you don't know Mike Carter, but do you know Jayla? Tall, maybe you've never met Jayla, but there's a woman that... Yeah, that's that. She's in a lot. Yeah, that's Eddie's wife. And yeah. Jayla and I have been homies for a long time. And her dad just kind of, he he's a man, like a man of faith. And we've connected in the last couple of years a few times. And last year, right before this, this time with you, maybe four months before, he sends me this book called Lessons on Faith. And so I wasn't reading Lessons on Faith at all, but I know it's like Jones and Wagner. And at this point, I don't really know too much about Jones and Wagner. I just know that the names are very famous, and Morris Vendon always used their names when he was making a sermon analogy. He always used Jones and Wagner. So I start reading it, and I'm like finding out about 1888, and I'm reading it, and I see this, this definition for faith. And I'm reading it, very shortly before I have this conversation with you. And so when you bring up Jones and Wagner, and here's the thing, like you don't run into people who are reading lessons on faith all the time and are quoting Jones and Wagner and are like 1888 and talking about it. Um, But you said this, this definition from Jones and Wagner and I had just been reading it. And so we connected on this thing. And if you think that this is all like by chance, then you don't understand how God works. Um, But it's like just people's faithfulness on listening to the spirit. And so I'm having this conversation with you and you bring that up and I'm just like, oh, she's about to, she's about to understand this thing. And we go into what are you going to believe Jesus or your life or your life lived. And no one had ever presented that to me. And in that moment, I decided to believe what the word of God said to me. And you guys don't understand, because this was still in the middle of the day. So it probably, um, yeah. Around five And actually, probably. yeah, because I, I think I popped onto both of them. Because you, you guys ran into another one later that evening. So you guys had a yep. 1.30 podcast, and then there was the evening one. So it was the evening one that... Um, that whole conversation happened. And I remember getting off of that um, Bible study with you. And I remember ripping out the definitions of condemnation out of the book I just read. 
and throwing it away. Because in that moment, I believed what the word of God said about me, that I was free from condemnation. And the weight that, like literally the Jeremiah 29, 13 came to my heart. When you seek me and you seek me with your whole heart, you will find me. Like that came into my heart that, that, that moment because I felt like on my bed that day, I was like, God, today we are going to understand why my relationship with you doesn't feel like what I believe it should. And literally I was seeking him with my whole heart that day. And he used Asher to send me the link to that Bible study where it was exactly what I needed to be set free from the years of condemnation that I had been living and existing in. That's, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And so then a couple days later, you end up like, I think that was our first week of doing our Bible studies and we had one every single night of the week and like two on some days. Yeah, because you were like you were holed up in in the healing from your surgery. I weren't going anywhere. It was literally perfect timing because I just had the time to consume this new gospel, and well, not even new gospel because it's 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 the gospel. It just had never been presented. I I mean I love the community that I was raised in, but I honestly think they believe they're preaching righteousness by faith. And that's what they think they're giving to you. But when you open it, when you experience it, when you interact with it, you're learning righteousness by works. And so for the first time, the the gospel was presented to me in, in a way that it actually set me free. And I have been re-baptized twice. So I was baptized when I was 13. I was baptized again in my early 20s. And it was always because I was fornicating. So I felt whenever I felt like convicted at an altar call, I felt the need to get rebaptized because I felt dirty. I felt unclean. And so I had been rebaptized three times, like hoping to feel free from these things. And I didn't get that until I understood. It makes me think of the verse in Colossians where, and I think it's in chapter one, where Paul says, um, when you understood the grace of God, hmm. that is so powerful to me because it I've had a head knowledge of God my whole life. I was raised third generation Seventh-day Adventist. I was eighth grade um, class pastor and 11th, like maybe 10th grade class pastor. I've preached sermons in my adulthood. I share object lessons, all not in freedom. Um, it wasn't until I understood, had a heart knowledge of what God's grace was that I was set free, like where I I felt it, like this is it. And it wasn't something that, it's still something that you grow in, but in that moment when I believed what that what Christ did on the cross was complete, I was free in that moment. It was it was Mercy. instantaneously. It was instantaneous. And like so I said, then I, you texted me. Talk yeah. to me about. Do you remember why you texted me? Yes, yeah, so I think it was like a couple of weeks after. After yeah, you'd been going hard on the gospel like for two or three <laughs> weeks in a row, just gospel 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 every single thing and you're just taking it in and like seeing your face i think the biggest joy and pleasure that we just get from preaching the gospel is just seeing the lives change in front of our eyes there's no 
there's no greater feeling than that. There's nothing, there's nothing you want more than to see someone believe who they are in Christ. And so we're seeing it with you, and it's happening in real time, which is it's just filling us. And then you, yeah, tell me what you uh, you ended up so texting me about. I had earlier mentioned that even during healing, my ex and I had, you know, been mm-hmm. in touch again after not speaking for the whole pandemic because he had blocked me during the pandemic after we broke up. And so in freedom, <clears throat> well, in understanding that I was free from sin and understanding how much I got the gospel wrong, like... I, I felt like, okay, like this, this new heart, like God has given me a new heart. This is the heart that I was meant to love him with. And if I had loved him with this heart this whole time, then maybe he would have received the gospel and <clears throat> would interact with Christ differently. And so I was really struggling. I think I was struggling because a part of me, I think, just missed that you know, that 10-year relationship. But a part of me just really felt like in this new heart, I could love him properly now because it's not my love, it's God's love that's overflowing in in me type of thing. And I messaged you crying because I still think I was having that internal battle between um, having this person in my life again because the patterns of the flesh was starting to come back. So what did I tell you? I don't know. Yeah, I I don't remember what I told you. you. What did I say about it? You said, so I had explained, I think I had briefly explained that, you know, this this person was my ex. And and you had asked me if he was free or if, you know, if he was in the gospel. And I was was like, no, not to my understanding. And you said, um, that is in wisdom. You said, you didn't say, like, that's a sin. You didn't say that. He was like, that isn't wisdom. And I took that information, but I was like, this is what my heart's telling me to do. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go love him with my new heart anyway. (laughs) Um, But I just remember you were super emotional. You were super emotional about it. Because Because you knew what you had to do, but you didn't want to do it. And also I was a bit confused as well because now experiencing no, like believing that there was no condemnation in Christ, I was confused of the condemnation that I experienced my whole life. I wasn't sure if it was a product of the external condemnation that I had gotten from church or from my family. Like I wasn't sure why I stopped doing the things that I was doing. I didn't know if it's because I was convicted or because I was condemned. And so I think more so I was curious to see um, if I would feel condemned participating in this relationship if I made myself believe that he was was my husband the whole time. It was very twisted. But in in revisiting that, God was just like, no, stop believing the lie. He's not, he's not your husband. Like, not in any sense of the word. And you don't need, you don't need to be, um, I choose you. I chose you. You are, you are validated. So in, in freedom from condemnation, I, in participating in that activity, I didn't feel that overwhelming sense of guilt like I used to, but I felt like it was an agreement. And when my heart still felt like it was an agreement in freedom, I knew that that is not something that I wanted to participate in. And it was like God was, 
you know the saying from faith to faith, like I've been in faith, but as God reveals more truth to me and I understand more truth, I'm I'm growing in faith. For me, that's like freedom to freedom. It's like God was said, like I was already free, but I was realizing I was free in different things. So God set me free from needing to be validated externally by, by another person. He set me free from needing to be chosen because I understood that in Christ, I lack nothing now. In Christ, I am chosen. He chose me before the foundations of the world. He chose me when he died on the cross. Like, I, my value and my identity is firmly rooted in who I am in Christ. It's not rooted in anything else. And so the last couple of things that Christ was really setting me free from was needing to be married, like Mm. needing to be a wife. I thought it was just needing to be my ex's wife, but it was just needing to be married, period. It's like, you don't need a husband. You lack nothing in me. You are whole. You are full. You are chosen. You are loved. You are valued. You are wanted. All of that intimacy you can get in me. And I started to really walk out and believe that. And it got to the point where, although I really loved my ex, I was just like, Nothing is worth not being in agreement with God. Like, this just isn't an agreement. My heart just doesn't organically feel right doing this, and I just don't want to. And it wasn't for the first time. It wasn't me trying to not be celibate. It was, I just don't want to. Like, my heart is organically in agreement with Christ. And 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 the more I spend time with him and the more truth is, is just shining in my light, the more the lies are being exposed earlier and I'm no longer trying to keep the commandments. I just organically want to live in agreement with God. That's just what is happening naturally. And this doesn't feel in agreement. So I I naturally don't want to do that. And then God started to tell me, be still. Hmm. He said, I'm the type of person that whenever I want something, I work and make it happen. I've experienced that in like my professional life. I've owned businesses, dog grooming businesses. Um Whenever I want something, whether it's a job, whether it's a profession, whether it's a home, I own my own home. Mm-hmm. I bought my home at 25, which is very rare for someone in Bermuda to be able to do. And that's all God, all the glory to God. But when I want something, I make it happen. I'm, I'm a take the lead kind of person. And so that definitely manifested in his relationship. And God said, be still. The husband that I have for you will take the lead in courting you. The husband that I have for you will take the lead in marrying you. Like you'll be able to trust him to lead in marriage because he take the lead early. Like be still and trust me. And what does the word of God say? I have a plan for you that a plan for you to prosper of peace, not of evil. And just believing what God's word says of my life, speaking the truth um, over my life. And it's, it's been freeing to not need to feel like I have to be a wife to be validated or chosen. Like I am content with just me and God. And in freedom is not the absence of feelings because there have been times where I'm walking this thing out and I understand it. I've watched all of the love reality sermons, tour one, tour two. I've watched all the vlogs. I attend the Bible studies. Like I'm walking this thing out. I believe it. But there are still times where the devil really tempts me with big feelings. Like um, I remember calling my dad a week or two, two or three weeks ago. And I remember just crying on the phone. I'm like, Daddy, like, like I'm a good person. Why isn't there anybody in my life? Like I'm ready for 
to have all this love in Christ overflowing me and I wanted to overflow on someone specific. And my daddy was like, it seems like you just want instant gratification. And I was like, well, that's rude. <laughs> no, can you see I'm depressed right now? <laughs> but after I got off the phone, like God really used my dad to help me realize that I was participating in impatience. And I was believing the lie that God didn't have a plan for me and that, that God's timing was imperfect. And I and it cured depression for me that day because once I realized that my depression was rooted when I participated in in impatience, it wasn't it wasn't depression at all. It was just participating in that spirit of the flesh where I was being impatient with God's time and not believing that He has a perfect plan for me. And not and I started to believing that I was lacking, that I lacked something, but I lack nothing in Christ. And I know that I'm, I'm content and I'm complete. The cross did it. I'm full. And so it really cured depression for me, understanding that it was rooted in impatience. And that is something that I, that Jesus put to death because I'm full of the Holy Spirit. Every spiritual blessing I have now, like I'm free now. And it's just been a beautiful experience. And even learning that I was asking my friend, like, how do you how do you acknowledge your feelings and not participate in the lie? Because the devil is always tempting us to believe a lie, even in freedom. But the beautiful thing about freedom and knowing God's voice is that I recognize the enemy's voice quicker than I used to. And mm. so I'm like, actually, no, that's a lie. I'm not going to participate in it. And sometimes I still do. And But the thing is, there's no condemnation. I have an advocate. And God helps me to realize the lie. I'm like, oh, wait, no, that's a lie. I'm not, I, that's not an agreement. I don't want to participate in that anymore. But there's no condemnation. There's no groveling. There's no, like, begging God for forgiveness and not feeling like I don't love him enough. Yeah, you've been doing this thing for about a half a year. And I don't know what it looked like from before. But I know what, like, you knew your Bible. I knew my Bible. But now you know your Bible. Like, it's written in your heart. It's like, it's about, like, there's stuff about you in it. And it's true now. Mm-hmm. And so, this doesn't seem like it's like a spiritual high or something that's going to go away for you. Like, it's just, it's, it's not permanent. the next phase or something for you. Self-discovery is permanent. I've discovered Jesus' grace and love. I fully receive it. I understand it. And it's permanent. It's not going anywhere. The day after that first Bible study, when I opened my Bible for the first time, I wasn't reading it to acquire knowledge to to know how to be saved. I was reading it simply to spend time with God. And that's the first time I had ever experienced reading the Bible in that way. Just reading it just to experience Him and with no other motive. And... That's what loving him has has been. Like when he set me free from needing to be married for the first time, I could pray for my acts and not require the result of my prayers to be him being saved so that we could be married. Like I am able to love people without requiring anything from them. It's 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 permanent. That that understanding of God's love, it's it's just it's so full in me now. It just spills onto other people and I don't even try. It's just, I don't even know how to explain it. It's just, 
<laughs> it's good. It's the mystery that's been hidden has now been unveiled. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's beautiful. I can only explain it as I'm living for the first time. I remember when I was really overweight and I was trying to lose weight in life and I started dieting, like how you count your calories and you're counting like how much you work out, so how many calories you, you're losing and you're measuring everything. So you're not really experiencing life. You're just measuring up. Like that's what my before freedom, that's what my spiritual life was. I was measuring my spiritual calories and I was counting my actions and making sure it measured up so I can reach the like the healthy goal of a spiritual life. And I wasn't living. I was just counting my spiritual calories and existing in the spiritual diet, restricting when I felt convicted. And and now for the first time, it's like I am simply living and existing in God's love. And I'm not trying. I'm not striving. Fruits are happening. Fruits are are increasing. Like Colossians says, the fruits will happen. It will increase. It's not something that I am doing. It's something that I am experiencing happen in me. And I am living without condemnation. Like I'm not afraid to make a mistake because if I do, God will reveal to me the lie that I believe that had me participate in it. And then I'll walk out in freedom. It's, Lord, thank you for revealing to me this lie. I confess that I participated in it, but thank you for your forgiveness. I'm walking out as daughter because I I have never not been daughter. I no longer participate Mm. in sin consciousness. I no longer believe I'm sin waiting to happen. Like I am living and enjoying life and the beautiful thing about it is that in this space, God has been restoring relationships in my life. Like some of my best friends who weren't really spending much time with me because I, because I was super condemning of myself, they felt that residual condemnation. They didn't enjoy being around me. Even with my ex, like we messaged each other yesterday and it was like, despite of our past, like, you know, I'm always here for you. Like, I care about you. It's like, there's no resentment. Like we've been able to reconcile mm. and communicate and there's a love there. Even with my dad, you know, um, I we, my, me and my dad's relationship is better because now he doesn't feel condemned by me knowing his agnostic. I'm like, I love you. Like I love you. It's God's love. It's like he is restoring relationships left, right, and center because the joy and the peace and the love that I exist in now People feel that difference. It's not the same energy around me that it used to be. My Christianity was toxic before because it was rooted in performance. It was rooted in fear. And John 1, 1 John 4, 18, perfect love casts out fear because fear focuses on penalty. Like I focused on condemnation and penalty and people felt that about me. They They couldn't experience God's love in me no matter if that's what I was preaching the it is that's not what they was experiencing because I wasn't living in love and since freedom since understanding the gospel my death to life moment it was I'm living for the first time and it's just a beautiful experience to live free from the bondage of this world it's 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 beautiful do you want to say anything to anybody who's listening who may have a similar struggle that the old Chelsea had struggled with? Do you want to give them a message as we wrap this thing up? I want to tell you that you are loved. Like, Jesus loves you so much. He loved, he saw you before the foundations of this world. And then 
sin didn't put him on the cross. His love did. Like he wants you so bad that he got on that cross and gave his life because he didn't want anything to separate us from him. He loves he you are valued, you are chosen, you are wanted, you are validated. You're in Christ. That God wants you that much and you don't need to get it from anywhere else and I promise you when you understand the grace of how much God loves you, that's where life begins. They really do. A lot of people trying to drain me of this energy I talk to God, told me people's not my enemies I'm cutting ties with the spirits trying to play with me They finna go shoot Can't stop till we make it to the moon It's too late, can't stop it, it's a boom no, I cannot wait till you approve I got people with me on the other side Spirit on me too bright, I see they tryna ride Coming out for the night, yeah, it's that come alive Coming out for the fight, yeah, we stay alive They stay alive, ayy hey.